It's time for America Outdoors Radio, the show that covers the outdoor scene across the U.S. of A. and the entire continent. Fishing, hunting, conservation, outdoor recreation, and great destinations, we cover it all every week. It's your country, your outdoors. Let's explore it together with your host, John Cruz. Welcome to the show. It is the middle of October and a lot of folks are out hunting this weekend and I don't blame them. It's a great time of year to be out there, whether you're after deer or ducks or pheasant or grouse or anything else that you can hunt. This week on the show, we've got some great guests for you. One of them is Johnny Candle. He is that professional walleye angler who has won some championships as a tournament angler. He's also an on-the-water instructor when it comes to walleye fishing. And he is a walleye fishing guide. He's going to give us a report from Devil's Lake, North Dakota. And then he's going to tell you where he is guiding in Florida this winter. You might want to book a trip with him. Looks like it'll be all sorts of fun. We'll have that discussion towards the end of the show. In just a minute, we're going to talk to Billy Egan. He is a tournament director for the Juan U.S. Open. This is the biggest payout bass tournament in the West, and it's going off October 16th through the 18th at Mojave Lake on the border of Arizona and Nevada. He'll tell you all about this tournament, how big the payouts are, and what kind of fishery there is at Mojave Lake. Somebody else we'll talk to today is Mike Kamara. He hails from Pennsylvania, and he is a competitive fly fisherman. I didn't know there was such a thing, but there is, not only here in America, but around the world. He'll tell you all about this sport and how it works and the tournament he'll be competing in in just a few days. Another guest on our show today is coming at you from Colorado. That would be Carly Kutnik. She is with the National Wildlife Federation, and she's a program manager for something called Artemis, which is all about getting women into the sports of hunting and fishing and into conservation as well. Carly's going to give you more details about this program and also about a new 1,700-acre lease they have available in Tennessee just for women hunters, and you are invited to apply if you are a female who lives in Tennessee and wants to pay a mere $200 to hunt 1,700 acres for everything from deer to quail to turkey to rabbits and squirrels. Before we talk to Carly, though, let's check in with our first guest of the day. Next up on America Outdoors Radio, we've got Billy Egan on the line. He is the man who is putting on the Western Outdoor News U.S. Open at Lake Mojave. It's the 41st anniversary of this event, and it is probably the biggest money bass tournament that takes place west of the Rocky Mountains. Billy, great to have you back on the air. Great to be on the air. Thanks for uh, letting me join you today. The dates for the tournament this year, the 16th through the 18th, it's taking place at Lake Mojave on the border of Nevada and Arizona. Laughlin, Nevada is ground zero for the event. Tell us more about the tournament and the format. Yeah, you know, this year's our 41st anniversary of the famous Wombats U.S. Open that, uh, you know, started really the big money payouts out here out west in the early 80s. Uh, we've got people like, uh, you know, Rick Klein, Gary Klein, Gary Klaus, you know, some of the big name guys that come out for this event every year. And a lot of, you know, they obviously the uh, Western pros that attend the U.S. Open. It's a three-day event, October 16th, 17th, and 18th, shared weight event. 
We match pros and co's each day randomly, and uh, nobody ever fishes the same day twice together during the event. But after three days, uh, the pro with the total weight from three days will take home the Basscat Cougar STS with a Mercury 250 on it, plus around 70000 or plus cash uh, based on 180-plus boats we've got right now. Get ready to hit the water. But, you know, every year before the uh, U.S. Open starts, the Sunday before, we have a sponsor's row or expo, if you will. And we're rolling out the red carpet this year, not only for the anglers, but for the general public, anybody that wants to come on out. October 15th, we have our expo at the Edge Pavilion at the Edgewater Casino. From 2 to 5 p.m., get to meet all the anglers, all the sponsors, see all the great products from the sponsors, get some free goodies from some of the sponsors, and then uh, stick around if they'd like for our Hall of Fame induction of our five new guys that we're inducting into the Wombass Hall of Fame, which we started last year. Stick around for first day's launch at uh, Kaplan's Marina. We've got eight hotels in Laughlin that are all partners. Uh, we've got discount rates or at least codes available on our website at wombass.com for anybody that wants to come out. So the expo is open to all the anglers, fans, anybody in the area. Come on out for a weekend. Come experience the U.S. Open for yourself, but we'll be doing a live broadcast every day from the event at Catherine's Landing there, uh, sponsored by the Laughlin Tourism Commission and uh, Visit Laughlin and Basket Boats, Mercury Motors, our title sponsors. It's going to be an awesome event, you know. Uh, all we're going to need to do is uh, let Mother Nature give us a few days without some wind and we'll uh, get this one in the books. Question for you about the amateur anglers, the co-anglers that are fishing. What's the top co-angler going to take home in terms of a check or prize? Typically, a top co-angler for their $600 entry is going to win at least somewhere near $10,000. Plus, Huntington Beach Honda puts on a Honda 4-track, which is worth about five to $6,000 plus some option money because obviously if they're uh, finishing on the top they're going to be you know hopefully some big stringer options and some big fish mixed in there so for a $600 entry you know these days you can't even get a one-day guide trip for near that between 450 and you know $600 for a day guide trip and you're gonna get three days basically guided on Lake Mojave from three separate pros showing you how they do it what their techniques are and the reason we have the co-anglers is to make sure that we have two people on the boat at all times but give those guys who don't have the confidence or maybe don't own a boat at the particular time to feel confident to maybe make that step up to be a boater to go visit one of the retailers and purchase a new boat a new motor and step up to the pointy end for themselves the following year. Well, I'll tell you what, I fished my first Pro-Am as an amateur this year and folks you learn a lot from the back of the boat if you're open to learning. It's definitely a great experience, and I would love to go down there in the near future and fish the U.S. Open as a co-angler, too. I might have to do that in the next year or two. One last question for you. Lake Mojave, what kind of bass fishery are we talking about here? Are we talking just largemouth or other species of bass, and what kind of weight do you think is going to take home the top prize? Well, Lake Mojave is very unique. It's, it's downriver from Lake Mead and above Lake Havasu all on the Colorado River there. And the unique thing about Lake Mojave is it never fluctuates more than six to eight feet at any time throughout the year. And right now, the time that they lower the lake a little bit for some invasive gnats and insects, I think, that start breeding at this time of year. But the, the fishery is unbelievable. I mean, Lake Mead has been the home of the U.S. Open for years, and we've always known that it's a, a largemouth and smallmouth lake. 
lake, but the size of the fish aren't quite the same as they are if you compare it down to Lake Havasu. And Lake Mojave being right in the middle and having the bait fish that they do, it's a largemouth fishery as well as a phenomenal smallmouth fishery. I mean, just for example, uh, Sheffield last year was in contention for the U.S. Open title against Josh Bertrand, and he wasn't keeping any smallmouth that were under four pounds. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, it kind of blew the AAA away in the morning when he was catching three-and-a-half-pound smallmouth, and he was tossing them over the boat. And the AAA's like, what are you doing? He's like, we're fishing for four-and-a-half-plus-pound smallmouth. I know we'll catch them, so we're not keeping a three, three-something. So there's good-sized largemouth. There's really nice-sized smallmouth. You know, if you're on Facebook or social media, Gary Klein is documenting his daily adventure from when he left to yesterday being the first day on the lake and showing a four and a half pound small he caught during uh, pre-fish. So it's an amazing fishery and we know it's going to take some quality fish to come away after three days and uh, hold that title. It's the Juan Bass U.S. Open, 41st anniversary, taking place Lake Mojave the 16th through the 18th. You can follow on Facebook or you can also find out more about it by going to wonews.com. That's the Western Outdoor News website, wonews.com. Go to the tournaments page and follow the U.S. Open. Billy, I know you're a busy man. Thanks for taking the time to share this today on America Outdoors Radio. Appreciate you having me. And also, we have our remake of the Arizona Open November 10th, 11th, 12th at Lake Havasu. We'll be doing that. We've put out an awesome schedule for next year with five events, including a Shaft event starting the year off at the end of January next year. So, love to see some of you guys up north next year at beautiful Lake Shasta. Check out our 2024 schedule and see you at the next event. Sounds fantastic. I'm Anthony Imperato, president of Henry Repeating Arms. Patriotic Americans are looking to protect and provide for their families now more than ever. Henry has over 200 rifles and shotguns to choose from. Made in America or not made at all. And backed by a lifetime guarantee. Order a free catalog, decals, and a list of Henry dealers in your area. Go to HenryUSA.com or call 1-800-958-4993. Thank you and God bless America. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org. We've been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in Southeast Alaska for a while now. They're truly Alaska's best lodge. Wildlife is abundant from bears and deer to eagles and whales. And let's not forget the reason you're here, the fishing, halibut, salmon, lingcod, rockfish, true cod, and more. It's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com for Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Hunting and fishing are exercises in hope. Before you head into the woods, you hope to tag out on a deer you'll have to field dress. Before you make that first cast, you hope for a big fish to clean and fillet. When your hopes are realized, you'll need a sharp knife. 
Whether you sharpen that blade on a power sharpener in the shop or a manual sharpener in the field, WorkSharp has the tool for you. Look for WorkSharp products in sporting and stores near you or online at WorkSharpTools.com. Next up on America Outdoors Radio, we are heading to Carlisle, PA. That's where you're going to find Mike Kamara. And he is a tournament angler. Well, I shouldn't say a tournament angler, a competitive angler, but in a field that's very different than you think. He's not fishing bass tournaments. He's not fishing walleye or muskie or crappie tournaments. No, he's a competitive fly fisher, something I didn't even know was a thing. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me on. I read your article in the Fishing Wire this week, and again, competitive fly fishing, I knew nothing about it. Apparently, it's a big deal in Europe, and it's now spread to the U.S. Why don't you go ahead and tell me about this sport? Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit more popular in Europe than uh, than in the U.S. A lot of the main European countries, France, Spain, and the Eastern European countries like the, the Czech Republic and those areas, pretty popular on a lot of their rivers. In the U.S., it's really been gaining popularity in the last five or so years. It's kind of exploded onto the fishing market. A lot of the companies out there are making, you know, rods, lines, that kind of stuff for not necessarily competitors, but competitive fly fishing tactics. There's a lot more kind of interest in the, the tactics and the flies and stuff that we use to compete than there is in actually competing. You know, a lot of people just aren't super competitive, and especially with fly fishing, you know, they want that as their kind of release, you know, relaxation, don't want to be competitive with it, but still want to catch a lot of fish. And that's where, you know, some of those competitive tactics come into play. So why don't you break down exactly how a competitive fly fishing event works? Yeah, so... Unlike a lot of sports, uh, you're not actually competing against everyone in the competition. So when you get everyone together, you usually break it down into groups. So there will be two groups per venue that you're fishing. Um, so you have a, a group A and a group B. And so group A is going to fish first, and they'll fish for anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours on what we call a beat. So it's a predetermined section of water, usually about 250 yards long, a good piece of water to fish in that time. And while they're fishing, the angler that's kind of linked up with them from group B is going to be controlling or, you know, what we refer to as judging them as they fish. So they're going to make sure that they're fishing the correct roles, correct equipment for the competition, and assuring that all the fish they catch are fairly hooked and then also, if there is a size limit, that the, those fish are above the size limit. So when Group B comes up to fish, do they have to fish the same beat of water, or do they get some fresh water to fish? Yeah, so Group B is going to fish a different beat than they just controlled, that they just watched, so there's no unfair advantage. They will be fishing a beat that someone fished before them. So it cycles through. You have If you have 12 anglers, you have six beats, and Group A fishes. And then there's a break, usually about an hour, and then Group B fishes a different section of water than they watched. Okay, so it sounds like you always want to be Group A if you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it depends. 
sometimes on those cold winter days, the first session is really slow in the morning, and sometimes it pays off to be the second one fishing. So usually, you know, sometimes there's an advantage to being Group A or Group B, but if you fish over the course of a season in a couple competitions, then it all kind of comes around to evening out. In terms of scoring, is it the number of fish you catch? Is it the size of the fish you catch? Or is it the weight of the fish? Yeah, so we put a pretty heavy emphasis on numbers of fish. Usually in any competition, the person that catches the largest number of fish is going to win. In some larger competitions, regional competitions, national competitions, we will measure the fish. Uh, We use scoring troughs similar to a lot of fisheries departments and stuff like that. And then you'll get somewhere around 500 points of fish and 20 points per centimeter long it is, for example. So it takes number into account first, but then it also gives a little bonus for size. And that way you avoid any sort of uh, ties at the end, anything like that. Is it all trout or other species included? So in the U.S., uh, it's mostly trout. That's kind of our our main game fish here. Sometimes if the fish are there, we'll include stuff like mountain whitefish, grayling. Every now and then, like white suckers, um, that kind of stuff. You know, they're fish you can catch on the same tactics as you're fishing for trout and fish that act similarly to trout. In Europe, they'll add in a lot of chub, uh, roach, kind of rough fish like that. Those are much more popular there as a sort of game species. And sometimes they'll even include stuff like pike if they're in the same water that you're fishing. Now, I know that different countries have teams, and the U.S. has one as well. How many people are engaged in competitive fly fishing in the U.S. in terms of as a team sport? You know, that's kind of a a hard question to say or to answer. There's a lot of people that will fish some of the, the closer competitions to them only, and won't travel as much for it. I'd say as far as the people that are pretty hardcore with it, travel to all the regional competitions, the national competitions, there's somewhere around 70 really aggressive competitive anglers out there. And then the total number with people just, you know, fishing around their area, doing it for fun, not necessarily to be on one of the U.S. teams, is probably closer to 150 or 200, I'd say. Very interesting indeed. And we can't leave without talking about your success because you have traveled the world and you've taken home some medals, haven't you? I have. I have. I fished in three of the Youth World Championships when I was younger. Two of those, we as a team managed to bring back medals. We got a bronze in Slovenia and a silver in the Czech Republic. It was a great time. Uh, Some of the most fun I've ever had in my life. I would highly recommend any kids out there listening give the U.S. Youth Fly Fishing Team a look out on the internet, see if it's something that interests you. If you like fly fishing, you know, it's a really good experience. And I understand you are going to be heading to a competition yourself soon. Tell me about this. Yeah, I will. So I'm currently competing on the men's circuit. So that is five mini competitions, three regional competitions, and a national competition. And that's to determine who goes to the World Fly Fishing Championships next year. So I'm heading down on Friday to North Carolina. That'll be the last regional competition for me. And I'm currently sitting in second place overall for that. So fingers crossed, the World Championships next year is in the Czech Republic. And I would 
really look forward to your chance to go back there and compete again. Competitive fly fishing, folks. It's a thing, and Mike just told you all about it. Mike, I'll be rooting for you at this competition and hope that you're going to be taking home a medal in the World Championships next year. Yeah, I appreciate it, John. Thanks for having me on. This portion of the show was brought to you by our friends at WorkSharp. And I know a lot of you are at hunting camps. Some of you are at deer camp. Some of you are at elk camp. Some of you are at duck camp or maybe even pheasant camp. But whichever camp you're at, you know there's going to be some cooking going on. You know there's going to be some cleaning of game. And you know you're going to need a sharp knife or two or three. And that's where WorkSharp comes in. They manufacture quality knife and tool sharpeners you could use at whatever camp you are at this week. Here's wishing you luck in the field and when it comes time to cooking and cleaning, make sure you've got a WorkSharp knife sharpener to help you get the job done right. Find out more at WorkSharpTools.com. You can also find knife and tool sharpeners from WorkSharp at quality sporting goods stores all over the nation. In today's news, I'm cooking a brisket. Let's go to Jill at my house to see how it's going. This is your house and you brought me and the crew to check on your brisket? That's correct, Jill. How's it looking? This is a Camp Chef Woodwind Wi-Fi. You know you, you can check your cook right from your phone, right? I didn't know that was an option, Jill. Well, never mind. But before you leave, can you feed the dog? What? No, no. When we get back, why is my check engine light on? The answer may shock me. Immerse yourself in a complete Alaska wilderness experience through Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Up to six of you will spend a week in a beautiful waterfront log home in a secluded cove. Every day is a new adventure. Go on a guided fishing trip or haul in a bounty of shrimp and crab. Visit a Native American village where totem poles are carved. Go on a whale or bear watching trip and return back to your very own place at the end of the day. Find out more about the Alaska wilderness experience at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com. You're back in with America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. Our next stop is the Centennial State of Colorado. We are checking in with Carly Kutnick. She is the program manager for Artemis. And we're going to tell you exactly what that is and also about some very exciting news they have about a brand new hunting lease in Tennessee. Carly, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. So, Carly, you actually work for the National Wildlife Federation, but you're the program manager for Artemis. What exactly is Artemis, and how does it get women outdoors? Of course, Artemis is an organization focused on getting sports women, so women that hunt and fish, really involved in that conservation space. I think the difference then that maybe a lot of other boarding entities do is they usually bring women into hunting and fishing, but there isn't really that continuation of it. So Artemis really focuses on that continuation and development of women in both the conservation space, the advocacy space, and then also the leadership space. I manage about 70 volunteers that run the nation, and we call them our ambassadors. And they develop and build communities in their state, in their respective state. And that's where really the, the rubber meets the road is the ambassadors building community, hosting events, and then developing those communities and educating them on really conservation-esque issues. 
Let's talk about what your ambassadors do in terms of what some of these events look like. Are we talking about we as women are going hunting together in like on a public land or on a private lease? Or are we talking about maybe conservation habitat work? It runs the gambit. So we do have some habitat, some like conservation and habitat days, work days. And then we also have, so currently we have an elk camp that is lasting about a week up in Wyoming. Two weekends ago, we had a gator, a three-day gator camp in Florida. And we've got some duck camps happening in December. So it can be anywhere from a couple of hours, like a day on the river, up to upwards of a week. And our ambassadors, some of them are guides, some of them are outfitters, but the majority of them are just really extraordinary sportswomen who build community and like to go hunting or fishing with other women. It's impressive. So for the women that are listening today and are intrigued by this, how do they get involved with Artemis? Of course. So you can find us on social media. So on Instagram, it's Artemis underscore sportswomen. And on Facebook, you can look up Artemis Sportswomen. You can also find us on our website, which is artemis.nwf.org. And we should touch on the National Wildlife Federation, too. What kind of work does this organization do? It's not quite the same as other conservation organizations like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or the Mule Deer Foundation, is it? It's not. So that's a really great question. So the National Wildlife Federation was founded in 1936 by a gentleman who was a duck hunter and really had a passion for the outdoors. Since then, the National Wildlife Federation has really evolved into focusing on wildlife. We're a true federation, and so we have a presence in 52 states and territories. And we work with our affiliates to actually push policy and advocate on the Hill for wildlife-focused issues. So we have about 6 million members at the National Wildlife Federation. They include hunters and anglers. And then in addition to that, we have our gardeners, our birders, our hikers, campers, and paddlers, really any outdoor enthusiast. I love the big umbrella. I love that indeed. Now, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what Artemis Sportswoman is doing in Tennessee. You've got a hunting lease there. Tell us more about it. Of course. I'm really excited about this opportunity. We just, I guess in June, we were able to secure some funds from the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency, so their state agency. And we were able to work with a timber company to lease out 1,700 acres right outside Crab Orchard, Tennessee. We're hoping to bring on 10 applicants who can hunt on that property with any method of take, given it's legal. And we're looking forward to, to bringing them on for a very reasonable of $200. What can you hunt on this property? So a multitude of things, right? You can do quail, deer, turkey, wild hog. You can do really anything. We can do squirrels and rabbits, really any species, any method of take. And so it just depends on if you can find it out there. And how big is the property? 1,700 acres. Oh my goodness. Okay. This is a, a, a sizable lease to hunt. And so it is. The, I know that the deadline is this weekend. You have to apply by Sunday. Uh, there are some restrictions. You have to be a Tennessee resident, correct? Yes. And you have to live within 100 miles of Crab Orchard. Is that also true? Yes, it is. And that is, I mean, give or take 100 miles. We're not looking specifically for that. We just want people to actually use the lease if they're going to be a lease member. That makes perfect sense. So 
If you are listening from Tennessee today or there is a woman hunter in your life that lives in Tennessee, tell them to apply. How do they do so? So they can go to the Artemis website. Again, it's artemis.nwf.org. And in the menu button, you can do the drop down and it'll have a Tennessee hunting lease application. You can go ahead and fill that out, submit it by 1159 on October 15th. And we will then be reviewing those and we'll be in touch with who we select for the lease. What a wonderful opportunity. Think about it. $200 a year and you get to hunt 1,700 acres. Now, is this a year-by-year application? Do people have to reapply or are you going to be cycling different women through each year or is this like for a lifetime? So we currently have this property for two years. The first cohort of women, so this first year, they will be on the ground from November 1st till May of 2024, and then we'll select a new cohort of women the following year, some of which may be the same from the first, I guess, iteration of this lease, but we'll, we'll definitely open applications again, probably May timeframe. And getting back to the conservation aspect, because again, you're not a hunting organization, even though Artemis does promote hunting, there's some conservation work that's expected if you're part of this project. Exactly. And so this is really, that the origin of that conservation work is really from Artemis itself. So again, while we value and appreciate hunting and angling, right, are two ways that we fund conservation. So our lands, waters, and wildlife is through either license sales or through the excise tax that we have on a multitude of gear that we purchase to facilitate hunting and angling. This property in particular, yes, um, we are looking at taking, right, so so with that mindset that hunters also conserve fundamentally, we're also looking at both educating our lease members using trail cameras to do population estimates on species out there, potentially planning and then planting food plots for both deer and turkey, and then talking about cover, so like cover and forage for wildlife and how to create it and maintain it, and then like plant identification, species identification. We want to talk about fire. And then we also want to do some of the more practical stuff like chainsaw operation and safety and focusing on advanced rifle skills and then talking about predators. So we, we really want to hit the whole gambit of things. Wow. Makes me wish I was a woman living in Tennessee just so I could apply. But I'm not. But some of you out there are. So take the opportunity. Go to the Artemis website. And again, can you repeat that one more time, Carly? Yes. The Artemis website is Artemis nwf.org. Yes, so go there now and apply if you live in Tennessee for a chance to hunt and conserve 1,700 acres near Crab Orchard, Tennessee. What an opportunity indeed. Don't miss out on this. And if you want to find out more about the work that the National Wildlife Federation is doing, check out their website. You'll find it at nwf.org. That's nwf.org. And consider joining this organization too. Carly, thanks for the work you do. And thanks for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Of course. Thanks for hosting us, John, and highlighting this. This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at Henry Repeating Arms. And with hunting season underway, now is the time to purchase a new rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. They're all made right here in America. They're rugged, they're reliable, and they look great. They come in all sorts of calibers, perfect for deer hunting, bear hunting, and more. 
Just go to HenryUSA.com. Check out the entire lineup of firearms from Henry Repeating Arms. There's over 200 models available. Find an authorized dealer near you, and don't forget to ask for your free decals and catalog while you're there. HenryUSA.com. That's your first stop towards purchasing a new rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org. Hunting and fishing are exercises in hope. Before you head into the woods, you hope to tag out on a deer you'll have to field dress. Before you make that first cast, you hope for a big fish to clean and fillet. When your hopes are realized, you'll need a sharp knife. Whether you sharpen that blade on a power sharpener in the shop or a manual sharpener in the field, WorkSharp has the tool for you. Look for WorkSharp products in sporting and stores near you or online at WorkSharpTools.com. Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is the voice for your public lands, waters, and wildlife. Find out how you can get involved at backcountryhunters.org. Come explore the Dalles in Oregon for outdoors fun. Hike amongst the wildflowers, bike our riverfront trail, or visit the Gorge Discovery Center where you can enjoy a live raptor display. Or even check out our National Neon Sign Museum. But don't forget the fishing. We've got salmon, steelhead, bass, walleye, and monster-sized sturgeon waiting just for you. When the day is done, tell those tall tales at one of our wineries, breweries, or restaurants and plan your next adventure. Find out more at explorethedalles.com. Looking to reel in the marketing opportunity of a lifetime? Then set the hook because we've got it right here. America Outdoors Radio has sponsorships available, and we offer an affordable platform to reach thousands of listeners interested in fishing, hunting, and the outdoors. Find out more by contacting host John Cruz through his website at AmericanOutdoorsRadio.com. That's AmericanOutdoorsRadio.com. But hurry, if you wait too long, this big opportunity might just get away. That's AmericanOutdoorsRadio.com. Attention, small business owners. This could be the most important 10-minute call you will ever make. You may be eligible to receive up to $26,000 per employee through the Employee Retention Credit. Call Omega Accounting Solutions to see if your business is eligible to recover payroll tax pay during the pandemic. All it takes is a quick, easy, free 10-minute consultation to determine your qualifications. Call Omega Accounting Solutions at 800-309-ERC. Omega's knowledgeable staff will streamline the process of filing complicated paperwork. Omega is the small business champion with teams dedicated to maximizing tax credits. CPAs even turn to Omega for ERC guidance. Take advantage of this exclusive small business tax credit before it's too late. The three-year sunset deadline is setting soon. 
So find out if you qualify today. Call 800-309-ERC. That's 800-309-ERC. Or visit OmegaTaxCredits.com. Next on America Outdoors Radio, we've got Johnny Kennel on the line. He is that very well-known tournament angler, instructor, and just all-around walleye fisherman from North Dakota. Devil's Lake, North Dakota, no less. And he is actually heading south for the winter to do some guiding down there. Johnny, welcome back to the show. Hey, how's it going, John? It's going well. So let's start off with a, a fishery report from Devil's Lake where you just wrapped up your season. Well, Devil's Lake, North Dakota had to be the most incredible fishery that I have seen in the last, oh, 30 years of my life this summer. Uh, absolutely plumb full of walleye. We've got the scientific data to prove it. Our game and fish department started our fishing season with a report saying that the lake has more walleye in it today than it has ever had, and 50% of those walleye are between 14 and 20 inches long, which are the perfect eating pan-sized walleye, uh, the best you could hope for. And one thing they couldn't predict is how well they were going to bite because the the summer was absolutely incredible. The fall was incredible. I guided 102 days this year and brought my clients home with a limit 101 of those 102 days. So, uh, and I'm not saying that to speak on my fishing acumen, that's just how dang good the lake is, and it's still going strong. In a way, I wish I was sticking around a little bit while longer uh, to enjoy some of this fall fishing. But on the other hand, it's going to get cold soon, and I don't want to shovel snow. I don't blame you a bit. How do you catch fish out of Devil's Lake this time of year? So the last couple of days, uh, as I wrapped up my guide season, the, the two main techniques of the fall – came to the forefront right away. The first way is vertical jigging with what has affectionately become known as a glide bait. Uh, these baits that are horizontal jigs with the old plastic tail fin, so you lift them sharply, they dart off to the side, and then as you let them fall on a slack line, they glide back to the bottom. The most famous would be the jigging rapala. There's the shiver minnow, the johnny darter, the tika minnow, the puppet minnow, uh, all, all these different brands of baits, they all do the same thing. And that worked very, very well for us uh, near isolated structure, deeper structure, and anywhere we had a little bit of current flowing under a bridge. The other technique that worked really well, which is the second prime technique of the fall season here and just about anywhere you've chased walleye for that matter, is trolling crankbaits uh, and using lead core line to get them to the depths where the fish are living. So 14 to 18 feet of water was good for me. Number four, number five size crankbaits, flicker shad, salmo hornets, uh, rapala shad rafts, things like that all produced fish. But you can't get those small baits down without some kind of weighting system. And the lead core worked really well. We had back-to-back days with over 30 walleye a day, and our average size was right around that 20-inch mark. So absolutely phenomenal fall fishing. And again, like I said, uh, the only reason I'm not doing it much longer is because I'm heading south, but this bite's going to last another month for sure before the lake freezes up mid to late November. 
All right. Well, Devil's Lake, definitely a destination worth checking out. And now you know how to catch those walleye out of there. But let's talk about let's talk about you and what you're doing this winter you are going to be guiding in florida what part of florida yeah so uh i guide uh on the gulf of mexico out of the florida panhandle a really really tiny small fishing village called carabelle florida uh if if you're familiar with the florida panhandle i'm about 90 miles east of Panama City, which is pretty famous for their beaches and oh, yes. uh, the big spring break parties that they have down there. But man, I-, I can't speak highly enough for just the Gulf of Mexico in general. There's so many opportunities, so many different species of fish. And again, if you're from anywhere where your viewers or listeners are from or where I'm from, we all know it gets kind of chilly November, December, January, February. And uh, it's a great change of pace. You don't have to go sit on a five-gallon pail over a hole through a frozen lake. And last summer, to give you an idea, John, in 90 days of fishing, I recorded in a notebook 48 different species of fish I caught in 90 days of fishing last year. So you literally never know what you're going to catch. I love this thought. I really do. So what do you typically go after in the Gulf of Mexico down there? So the target species, if you want to fish inshore, which is probably that from the beach to about three miles out into the Gulf, you're targeting primarily redfish, speckled trout, and then if the weather gets really dicey and you got to stay really close to shore, you can always fish the pier heads and rock jetties for sheep's head and black drum. Lots of fun. All those fish fight hard. Uh, the redfish, if you can get into a school of bull redfish, we're talking fish 40 inches long that weigh up to 30, 35 pounds. They pull really hard, and that's your typical light tackle inshore fishing. I'm actually using rods and reels that mimic what I use to fish walleye in Devil's Lake, North Dakota. The weather's nice, John, and I can get further out to what they would call near shore fishing. So we're talking probably from three miles off the beach to about eight or nine miles out into the ocean. Water's a little deeper, 30 to maybe 80 feet. Now we're targeting fish like black sea bass, maybe some grunts, maybe some trigger fish. We get into all the varieties of snapper and grouper, which uh, I couldn't name all of them in the length of time we have today. (laughs) And then you get some really fun fish. You get into some amberjacks, maybe some cobia. There's always a shark or two around that I don't mind doing battle with, but just don't ask me to bring them in the boat. I don't (laughs) blame you a bit. On that note, we have got to go. Folks, one of the the best people to fish with in the entire nation, Johnny Candle. Not only will he give you a great time fishing, he'll teach you how to be a better fisherman or fisherwoman, too. Just go to his website to book a trip, whether it be in Devil's Lake or Florida. The website is johnnycandle.com. That's johnnycandle.com. Johnny, always a pleasure, sir, to have you on America Outdoors Radio. Great to catch up, my friend. In other news, the Beaver State of Oregon is giving Colorado a very special gift. That would be wolves. You see, back in 2020, Colorado voters, primarily in Denver and urban areas in the central part of the state, decided that physically reintroducing wolves into the state was a good idea. By the way, it's not. If you're listening today in Colorado and you voted for this, that was a mistake. But you're going to find out soon enough what that mistake looks like.
Because the initiative that became law in Colorado mandated wolf reintroduction by the end of 2023. And Colorado asked five different states if they could get some of their wolves. And both Oregon and Washington said, yes, you can have some of ours, but only Oregon could do it by December 31st, which is the deadline for reintroduction of wolves. So Colorado Parks and Wildlife is going to pay to trap and relocate these wolves, which will then be introduced to the Centennial State, where I'm sure they won't cause any problems at all to ranchers and their livestock because, hey, they haven't caused any problems in any other state, right? Wrong. (laughs) They have, and they will. And Colorado, be careful what you wish for because you're about to get it. Physically reintroducing animals into states is not just happening in Colorado. It's also gaining a lot of traction in the state of Washington, where both the National Park Service and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service want to reintroduce grizzly bears to the North Cascades. We'll be talking to Congressman Dan Newhouse on our regional show, Northwestern Outdoors Radio, more about this issue next week. But I can tell you, this is another idea that's not good. And I look at it from the point of view of a wildlife biologist that I got to listen to a few years back, and he was talking about wolves, but this also applies to grizzly bears. And here's what he said. He said, when you have one or two top-tier predators, deer and elk herds, they can handle it. But when you introduce a third and they are basically unmanaged in terms of hunting, you get real problems and they overwhelm elk and deer herds. And he talked about how grizzly bears in particular could just decimate elk during the calving season. They literally would just go through a meadow where elk calves were and just work it in a grid pattern and kill every elk calf that they found. Now, that's not a knock on grizzly bears. Bears do what they do. You can't blame the bears, but reintroducing these bears to north central Washington, where they're going to have impacts not just on deer and elk herds, but also livestock and orchards. Yes, you're going to have some human conflicts because you've got a lot of orchards in north central Washington and a lot of orchard workers. And you know what? Bears like pears and apples and things like that. So don't tell me there's not going to be any conflicts when that happens. Physical reintroduction of top apex predators. Not such a good idea. And on that note, it is time to go. But until next time, here's hoping you are blessed in the days ahead and that you get out there to enjoy some of what October has to offer. There's a bounty of opportunities waiting for you in the form of fishing and hunting. Remember, it's your country and you're outdoors, so get out there and enjoy it. (laughs) 